Welcome back. This is Saujanya Shetty from Attitude Makeover Show. In today's episode, I'm in conversation with Subodh Shankar. He's the co-founder of Arta Galata, a bookstore and event space in Bangalore that's more than just a bookstore with books on the shelf in his own words. Having taken the plunge into the passion economy after a corporate career, Subodh talks about the shift, fears and new perspectives that comes with it. Arta Galata has been successfully running for over 11 years, led by Subodh and his wife Lakshmi, a partnership that has its own nuances he interestingly talks about. A venture with a niche focus on Indian literature, we touch upon the nature of writing, the innate sense of Indianness among us and evolving with the times in this increasingly digital world. All great change happens with an attitude makeover. In line with this, Subodh talks about his mindset that unexpectedly catapulted him into a world where his passion leads the way and his time is currency. Catch my conversation with Subodh for insightful takeaways about vision, mindset and plan of action. I hope you like it. so much for joining uh, me in the attitude makeover show it's such a delight and pleasure to have you thank you so much saujanya <laughs> uh yeah i'm i'm like i told you i'm really excited i'm happy to uh, happy that you've started this out and i'm happy that uh, you know i could be part of uh, the conversations that you're having so I'm thank you i'm following your footsteps i think you've been the most pivotal reason for like you know oh. seeding the start of really stepping out of your comfort zone doing something that you're passionate about so i'm just following you you're, you're being very kind but <laughs> <laughs> i'll accept the compliment <laughs> you should you should you've been pivotal in this decision so so let me start off with the name itself right atta galata i used to actually think it is atta galata as a tulu speaking person atta is the attic and a lot happens in the attic in mangalore as a child so i thought that's the beautiful name but it's atta galata so tell me what's the whole origin of it the origin of subodh's journey towards atta galata atta sure. galata i think i think atta atta and atta mean the same thing in both tulu and kannada right yes and uh, yeah we we've, we've had a lot of people ask us if we were atta galata and of course a lot of people ask us what is atta galata Uh, so the word atta galata comes from you know atta and kannada which is play right yeah. uh, and uh, so when lakshmi and i sort of what 10 11 years ago uh, decided to start a bookstore uh, we were obviously searching for a a name for it and we wanted something that would stand for the ethos of what the place was mm-hmm. and uh, so two things about atta galata right one is as a bookstore we're an indian language bookstore we basically carry books in various indian languages english included and so we wanted something that kind of captured that ethos and also uh, a name that suggested that it was not just a bookstore right i mean bookstores can be fun uh, it doesn't have to be this yeah. old old place where you know you have books arranged on a shelf and all over the floor so the thinking of a a place that is fun and then the word atta came to play in and and in galata you know if you 
sort of look at the yeah. nicer you look at the nicer aspects of galata not necessarily you know somebody throwing stones at your car <laughs> and you look at galata from that other perspective so kind of rhymed and we said you know ata galata so it's a kind of a place that is stands for fun and a little rambunctious uh you know activity and it still lives by that isn't it it surely does yes it does, absolutely does. does yes absolutely so i, I want to go back more into that so most of us who are who are from the corporate world you you will when you start talking on a more personal front you sort of hear these stories of um you know ideally when i retire i want to be on a uh, mountain top with a cafe or by the sea or by the lake with a cafe and a book and things like that you sort of took that plunge from an entrepreneurial life and a corporate world to this walk me through you know the purpose how did you figure out this is what you want to do and taking that plunge is not an easy thing like you know i can tell you just me as an example i've tried that a couple of times and it's not an easy thing no i i agree we've been fortunate right to start with i think we've been fortunate yeah uh we've been fortunate that uh lakshmi and i have been able to do something that we wanted to do do something that we love to do and to start with i think there's been a large dose of good fortune on top of everything else so uh 10 years ago you know i think uh you know we 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 shared uh, a past life right where you club know july. <laughs> club july club july and uh and then afterwards i went ahead and did another tech startup mm. and uh frankly at about you know it was about 2010 about 11 years ago when i was getting a little uh disillusioned with this whole world of startup technology and the pace and what it was taking out of my life mm. right uh you recall i used to be in a traveling sales job where yes. i would be you know out of the country 15 to 20 days in a month you know i wasn't seeing my child grow up yeah uh there were aspects of life that you were missing on and uh frankly the idea for ata galata has been in lakshmi's head for a very long time mm. okay i'm not mm. going to take the credit mm. it was her idea uh she uh is a student of literature uh she's among the most well read people that i've ever met uh you know she takes the term in term voracious reader to another level uh and and like most other people who are sort of book lovers she's always talked about owning a little tiny bookstore so her thing was we have to start this bookstore where you and i can grow old together mm. i don't care if people come but at least you and i can sit in a bookstore surrounded by books surrounded by the five people that we love yeah. and grow old together right have a couple of cats have a couple of dogs unfortunately the cat part didn't work out but yeah <laughs> have a couple of cats have a couple of dogs and let's grow old together so in 2010 uh i basically exited the last tech startup that i was uh working on and i was like you know what i'm going to play golf maybe mm. i can become really good at playing golf and she's like don't waste your time <laughs> you know you know i've always wanted to open this bookstore let's go ahead and do that now interesting so mm. yeah so it was lakshmi's idea she basically gave me that little kick on my behind to uh say you know what let's go ahead and do that and frankly that's how the idea turned into something that we really pursued mm. 
So in 2010, we decided that we were going to start this bookstore. Hmm. Uh, and that was a time when MG Road was going through its makeover with the metro and things like that. So bookstores were starting to close left, right and center. Yeah. And people thought we were crazy. They were like, you know what? Bookstores are shutting down and you guys are saying you're going to start a bookstore. And on top of that, we said, we're not going to be just another bookstore, right? We're going to be a bookstore that focuses on Indian Indeed. writing. So I think, I think for a long time, I've read Indian writing, mm. whether it's fiction or nonfiction. I've always read Indian writing. And Lakshmi would read everything. She'd read world literature. She'd read everything. But she also had a particular affinity towards Tamil literature. Mm. She reads extensively in Tamil. And, you know, every time we had to go and get a new stash of uh, books, we do it when we were visiting my parents uh, back home in uh, Coimbatore or if Lakshmi was visiting her grandfather back home in Chennai, we'd then just go to one of those stores and pick up like a carton full of books, yeah. right? Because there weren't enough Tamil books being sold in Bangalore. Yeah. And then you start talking to your friends and people said they, you know, shared similar experiences. If they had to buy, for example, Hindi books, they'd either get it from their tra travels back home to the north True. or if they wanted Malayalam books, they'd get it from their travels back home to Kerala. And, and then we realized that people were reading. Yeah. People were reading, people were reading a lot in their mother tongues. And also people my age and people our age, right, were making sure that their children did not lose touch with that vernacular, yeah. right? Because unfortunately, as sort of urban city dwellers in Bangalore, we end up speaking to our children in English. Our yeah. children end up speaking to us in English. They maybe speak to their grandparents in their mother tongue, but they answer back and, you know, so... Yeah. And that, that, that whole movement of, you know what, I'm going to make sure that my child doesn't miss out on that whole sort of mother tongue experience is a very real thing that's happening in a city like Bangalore. And so we said, let's start Atta Galata as a bookstore that serves that niche. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on selling Indian writing in its various forms, flavors, languages in Atta Galata. So when we started... They were like, boss, not only are you starting a bookstore when bookstores are closing down, you're saying you're going to sell Tamil and Bengali and Malayalam and Kannada and, you know, regional language books. Who's going to come uh, to your bookstore? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but but then I think, I think we had our sort of uh, head kind of screwed on in one particular direction. And we were like, you know what, we're going to open the bookstore. It doesn't matter if nobody comes. We'll read all the books there have a couple of cats, have a couple of dogs and we'll, you know, grow old together. That's basically how we started our So that was the North Star. That was like... Yeah, I think maybe... It's the personal... Maybe, it personal is the personal, choice, right? right? It's that personal choice. Sometimes yeah. you, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, I think in that, in our case, that personal choice of saying, you know what, I know this is what I am missing mm. and I know that a lot of the people that we know yeah. are also missing that kind of an experience and that was clearly sort of the final push that helped us sort of get started. So I remember uh, reading this um, blog from Sundar Pichai, where he says all of us have these five balls. Um, <laughs> we become equal there suddenly. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so we have five balls. One is health. Then there is your soul. There's um, family. There's friends. And then there's work. So if you really look at, and oftentimes when it 
when it's work when you you know you have your ups and downs work is like a rubber ball but the other four are like very uh, flimsy very you need to handle them with care it's like a glass ball so when it breaks when it falls um it gets uh, scattered it gets you know bruised and so it never goes back to its original form you were one of those few i know for like last 15 years who got this right in the beginning in life oh, as no, a priority no no no, no 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 i don't think so i don't think so i don't think i did uh i don't think i did uh i think i think you're absolutely right of course sundar pichai is talking about this from absolutely right perspective and not only are we we've got these five balls right we're juggling these five balls yes yes we're juggling these five balls and we know four of them are very fragile uh we know one's got the most resilience and more control over us which is that work ball it's not only made of rubber it's made of sort of indestructible rubber right yes yes and uh no i don't think i got it right i don't think anybody gets it right i think we all go through that phase of our life when we think you know you can juggle those five balls you can juggle those five balls successfully and you always end up juggling that rubber ball better than everything else yeah. right N- no i don't think i got it right i don't think i got it right i don't think i might have even got it right now but you get better yeah you get better yeah. and sometimes you know you start seeing that one of those other balls is actually made out of something far more valuable yeah and uh in my case i think it was you know like i said it was not even like you know i used the word disillusionment earlier it was not even disillusionment right i was happy doing what i was doing i think mm. i was reasonably successful in doing what i was doing but there comes a point when you're saying you know what yeah maybe this is not as fulfilling as it yes. ought to be yes. right and uh you know you just you don't know i mean it's not like i i i can't put a finger on what exactly is that trigger but at some point in time it just feels like you know you're at the right place to maybe do Take something yeah maybe do something slightly different yeah and uh it's it's i think different for different people and sometimes it just feels right yeah. and then you're saying okay fine it just feels right so tell me one thing um, i want to go back to our earlier conversation about language i remember when i got married to shamir my mom in law and dad in law spoke english so it was not so difficult and mummy used to read a lot i met her in the library back then as kids we used to have these mobile libraries right so i used to meet her there um but then when i went to kerala um his grandfather used to live in this pre british era right the british era the independence journey and amazing storyteller so as kids we've grown from listening to stories from our grandparents which has a the culture you know the, it's a perspective it's a perspective led story and then we shifted to more text based which is our books um and i was talking to you before this my books that i read were not so indian in nature they were more the international or the western thing so we've all grown up in some ways unless you've had fortune of you know having parents both reading indian writers or you yourself read it exactly you're exposed to that and somewhere 
you know, you evolve now, if you look at my child, that whole habit of reading is sort of diminishing to another medium itself, which mm. is more the digital mm. uh, face of it, right? And um, there's enough and beautiful YouTube content. There is, you know, uh, illustrations and graphics and, you know, novels around that. What's your perspective in this whole thing? Are, are we sort of holding on to something or like, you know, no, there is still a future for this um, with books? I, I don't think we're holding on, right? I think we're just evolving with the times. Mm. I think we're just evolving with the times. So uh, I'm, I'm probably slightly older than you are. <laughs> and uh, you're right. I mean, but we grew up in probably very, very similar yeah. uh, environments. Uh, we grew up to parents who were themselves educated. Yeah. And therefore, uh, they were probably the first generation of people that conversed, even in a marriage with each other in a mixture of their mother tongue and English, yeah. right? Like you said, your parents probably spoke to each other in a mixture of English and uh, Tulu. Yeah. Yeah. My parents spoke to each other in a mixture of English and Tamil. Yeah. And they were fluently bilingual in both in, 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 in every aspect, right? They were fluently bilingual, reading, writing, and speaking. True. And, you know, our parents' generation probably was the first generation of Indians, you know, that that, that did that. Yeah. In our grandf grandparents' generation, it was probably a little, uh, you know, it was a little rarer to find, uh, you know, peoples like yeah. that, people yeah. like that. Uh, our generation, we've become completely urban. Yeah. And we've stopped being completely bilingual. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like I can speak Tamil fluently. I can, I cannot read Tamil as fluently as I'd like to. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I yeah. can speak and understand. Yeah. But readings become a chore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, so, so I think, uh, you know, sorry for the digression, but I think when we grew up and when we grew up in such privileged environments, uh, I think we were also kind of moved along a path where we were given multiple opportunities, mm. right? We had the opportunity to read in English mm. because our parents gave us that opportunity. And back then, reading in English meant that you read something that was published outside of India. Yeah. Because publishing in India probably did not start becoming something that was meaningful uh, till maybe even the early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Until yeah. then, publishing in India was very, very small. There just weren't enough titles, though the publishers had presence in India. It was more to just import what was published overseas. And yeah. I think it was a, we were we were in, in, a, in a sense sort of products of our circumstance. Yeah. Right. Uh, but. Now, when you look at and, 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 and we were products of our circumstance in multiple ways. One, because the content that was coming was basically being imported. That was the circumstance that was prevailing at that time. It's not like you had television or the Internet or other forms of content that were coming. So we basically stuck to what was available to us. Today's children are just more fortunate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They have content that comes on their television. They have content that comes on their devices. They have content that comes as books. Yeah. And it's perfectly right. I mean, it's perfectly fine. And 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 to add to that, now you have the choice. The world's become a smaller place. Yeah. You have a choice of accessing content that's made in India. You have choices of content that's made overseas. I remember for us growing up, uh, I don't know how it was uh, uh, for you, 
but we used to have this big indo soviet bookstore oh in coimbatore and uh, so in addition to reading all this western literature right you're reading your uh, enid blytons and your famous fives and hardy boys and you know everything that boys read right i you read jackie th- collins as well <laughs> that's a little little later i'm talking about you know maybe at 9 and 10 and things like that we used to have this big indo soviet bookstore yeah and that used to be a big deal where india imported tons of books yeah from the soviet republics interesting and they were all very nicely published very inexpensive books very and they had a whole range of folk stories wow which were russian mm. so i remember reading all of those In fact growing up we were such a voracious readers we used to read the telephone directory. Yeah, I I used to do that too. Anybody who read you read the telephone directory. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You read anything and everything because that was the only one choice you had if you didn't want to go out and play. Yeah. Kids are doing the same thing now and it doesn't make a difference. I think it's the same thing. You're consuming content. It's an evolving process. It's an evolving process. And I think meaningful content no matter which form it comes in I think shapes a child's mind, right? Mm. So these guys are just fortunate. Mm. So there is hope for books. Mm. I don't think books are going to go away because what is a book in the end? It's content published a certain way in the form of a story. I don't think books are ever going to go away. And this uh, is like working when I was working in HP is to work with printers, right? At some point there was this whole urgency around environment and you know printing is going to die, but I feel printing is never going to die. It's just how and what gets printed uh, is going to evolve so it's an analogy we can put absolutely well. absolutely makes absolutely sense. makes sense absolutely so i want to um, you know dive deeper into the writing itself sure. we've had this conversation outside on you know if you actually look at india's content whether it is movies or music classical hindustani or even you know the genres that are grow evolving right now there's an indianness to it there's Absolutely. a very deep indianness to it um and naivety over here i haven't read so many indian authors other than probably guha arundhati roy or uh, vikram seth and the likes of them um is there um, an indianness to the writing and here's my perspective um if you actually look at any writing you and i might choose to write on a same topic like you know there would be like for example podcasters right mm-hmm. we might choose to have uh, the same conversations topic, and yeah. but then it is your persona your personalization your um context and your uh, aspects of you know how you look at it that makes the difference so from an indian writer's perspective is there an indianness to the writers what have you observed in the writer's I, journey absolutely right absolutely uh, because i think when you when 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 you know when a content creator and in this case let's take the example of a writer mm. puts something down on on paper right uh, they are in a sense drawing from their deep sort of cultural experiences, experiences. uh so uh the language the english language itself uh in a in a way has become indian mm. we have our own indian version of english and I the way we speak and you know the way you construct sentences and the way you choose to communicate using the language i think is there is a certain innate sense of indianness even in the way you and i are speaking to each other in english true, true. that i call it the biryani biryanization if i can call it that 
of the language right every region has a biryani and you me everybody we know people are going to listen to this podcast are going to perfectly understand what a biryanization of english is <laughs> yeah we we basically sort of taken that language made it our own yeah and and on top of that when you're creating with this language you're drawing deep into your own sort of upbringing the cultural context that you've grown up with and and i think uh, that finds its way eventually into what you what you make true, right true. uh so take a look at this right i mean just just if you go back and look at indian writing in english mm-hmm. you have a genre called mythological fiction yes which is so hugely popular yeah i mean it can't get more indian indian than that yeah right where yeah. you're basically going back to the stories that you've heard the stories that you've grown up with that your grandparents have told you that you've seen you know in the pictures of the gods and goddesses that you might have on your walls those are the stories that people then choose to retell yeah in a fictionalized manner yeah. and if you look at mythological fiction that's probably one of the biggest genres of indian writing in english there is today yeah uh or you know you could go and look at historical fiction where people take historical facts geography yeah uh you know cultural context and spin a world of fiction yeah which is based on historical context which is yeah. very very deeply ours yeah so you know when you create a i don't know a mythological fiction based on you know shivaji maharaja's time mm. and you say you know i'm going to sit down and dream and write up about a a plot mm. that happened in the times of shivaji maharaj yeah what you're drawing into is your deep cultural context yeah. it might be a complete word of a work of fiction mm. or if you look at you know one of the writers you mentioned in arundhati uh, roy she sets her stories deep in her home state of yeah. kerala and yeah. that cultural context comes in so what we've done is we've taken the language mm. we've taken the storytelling techniques that probably we've learned from the west mm. and we've made it our own mm. and and so that obviously comes through in the kind of so uh, we're basically taking the best of both worlds on one side we're looking at the progressive use of technology and platforms and things like that on the other side it is our innate inborn characteristics absolutely. in blending the two together absolutely absolutely so as a writer you've talked to a lot of writers I in have, your yes. 15 10 15 years as a writer i remember uh, reading uh, about uh, i think stephen king he basically locks himself uh, disconnects from the outside world no internet and i think he i don't know if it's him or someone else they basically use a typewriter to write their story what's the journey as a writer that one would go through Ooh. I'm not the right person to answer that because I think I don't write. Mm. I'm, you know, I've just been fortunate by virtue of what we've been doing to have met a lot of writers and you know had conversations with them. And I think they all go through their own process. Mm. But I think what everyone believes in and everyone preaches is that writing involves a certain level of rigor. Mm. So if you've chosen writing as something that you do mm. as your process 
you might do multiple different things that differentiate your process from the others but the common thing everyone does is they write every day yeah simple i have a friend who's written this book five morsels of love and uh, archana i don't know Absolutely. if you know her we we yeah we met her at atagalata so she did a book launch there four years back i think i used to tell her like you know eventually i want to do this podcast series she used to say write one line every day just write one line every day and i cannot tell you how this resonates with me because you know it's it's that first plunge is a very difficult it is one. a very difficult plunge yes yeah but that's that's what they all say right i mean and then then you look at it and then you say yeah obviously anything you do you do with a certain level of rigor mm. i mean when you went to microsoft you put on that yeah. dress in the morning and you worked yourself into a mind space that was ready for you know going out and selling microsoft yeah and as a writer i'm sure they do the same thing they put on their yeah. you know thinking cap and get ready to do that day as a writer in fact recently i was i just finished a book and i was also listening to a podcast with that writer <laughs> and uh, you know what he says is he wakes up early at mm. 6:30 makes himself a cup of tea mm. and till 9 o'clock he writes all he does from 6:30 to 9 is he writes mm. he's either writing his book or he's making notes from for what books. might be his next book mm. but whether there is a book currently underway or he's planning for it 6:30 to 9 he writes he just writes interesting and i want to go further into this about if you look at the music space we've gotten in some ways rid of our middlemen right like spotify has like sort of created a platform for creators to just upload content over there we were just talking about harper and penguin and all these guys coming into india and bringing the books from outside to india and now there are more authors from india actually in the corporate world everybody seems to be writing a book now there are so indian many indian publishing writers. is going through a golden age right golden age so is there an era where we get rid of these middlemen and sort of really Uh, have a platform for writers to actually be out there to connect with the right audience, or how is that evolving? It's happened. So self-publishing today is become very very mainstream, mm. and I don't like the word middleman there, right? Because yeah. I think whether it was in the world of music or whether it's in the world of publishing, uh, there is a role that somebody like that actually. place uh and that's not contrary to the democratization of the process in itself mm. so i'm not going to talk about music but mm. when i talk about writing mm. today an author has the opportunity to self publish and there are well established platforms led by people like amazon amazon's got a fantastic self publishing platform you can go put your uh, manuscript into that platform and voila it's available on kindle interesting okay penguins got their own platform to do that so it's not like these platforms don't exist and it's not like these platforms have been created to eliminate the middleman mm because if you take the world of publishing 
I think most authors will unanimously agree that when you finish writing your manuscript, you're probably only 50% of the way done. Hmm. Because then you go through this beast of a process called editing. Yeah. yeah. Right? And editing is something which is a combination of an art and a science. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Now, what these publishers offer you is editing that comes from a world of experience. Mm. Right? Mm. So it's like, you know, going back to the very commonly used example of taking a, a rough diamond and polishing it into a very shiny stone. Mm. Editors do that for you. Mm. Now, that is where the value of these publishers exist. And which is why I you know, said that the use of the word middleman is not necessarily the right way to look at these people. Makes sense. Because they're not necessarily doing this to block content from coming out. But it is just that, you know, in that particular process, they might not have enough bandwidth to polish everything that comes through the pipeline. Mm. And that thing, same thing holds for a, a world of music as well. Mm. Right. Mm. I mean, I've had the fortunate fortune of meeting one or two music producers in my life. Mm. Take Simon Cowell, for example. Right. He's a music producer. He's not a musician. Yeah. But the man knows how to pick talent, yeah. how to polish it and create a product yeah. that is well put together. Yeah. Now, you can choose to go through that process. You can choose not to go through the process. Both paths are available to you and that is available in the world of publishing as well. But yeah, I don't like the word middleman because the middleman word today has sort of a not so nice connotation, connotation to it. Yeah. And and uh, that's not what the publishers are doing. But they're, they're not me, there to they're not there to block you from pro producing your content. So tell me one thing in the earlier days, I again, from my reading, what I gathered was your publishing house has a huge um role to play on how the story pans out like how the book comes together um i remember uh, i i forget the particular uh, author who i had read where the original i think it was to kill a mockingbird mm -hmm. where the original storyline was very different and then the publishing the editor had a perspective and the storyline sort of changed um does that still happen definitely does mm -hmm. i think i think writers and editors uh, form very very strong bonds mm. uh, they work in a lot of cases maybe not for your first book mm. but as you go through your process of becoming a much published writer you'll find that most writers have very very strong bonds with their editor mm. because I think that teamwork is, is, is a very very strong and essential uh, part of the development of that final product mm. And uh, I, I'd say a lot of the writers that, you know, I've had conversation with mm. and I know a lot of editors also from the industry mm. have very strong sort of working relationships with each other. Mm. Uh, and, and, and it's true. I think in a lot of cases, the uh, final published manuscript might be in more ways than one influenced by how an editor and writer go through that process of editing mm. and then uh, it's yeah, a partnership it's a, it's, a, it's a huge partnership and it's a very important partnership
Taking a quick break from our conversation today, I wanted to quickly talk about our collaboration partner Hubhopper. This podcast was created on Hubhopper Studio. If you wish to start your own podcast for free, please visit www.hubhopperstudio.com. Hubhopper is India's leading podcast creation platform. Start your podcast with Hubhopper Studio and get your voice heard um, across platforms like Spotify, Ghana, Google Podcasts, Wink Music, and many more. Click on the link in the episode description to or visit hubhopperstudio.com. Thank you, Hubhopper, for the collaboration. And now we go back to our conversation. As kids these days, if you actually look, I'm switching gear again, okay? Um, you have like White Hat Junior. Like uh, my little one goes into those classes where you develop, you write code, right? In some ways, I believe as parents, we've looked at it as an economy of sorts. And we sort of, you know, getting our kids ready for something like that. I would think a more all-rounded child would be one who's also got into the habit of writing, storytelling and the creative aspect. But yet that as a platform like White Hat Junior is not that prevalent or is it there and we just not made it mainstream? Well, uh, absolutely right. I think as parents, we've become so outcome driven yes that we want everything that our children do also to be outcome driven and i think that kills the beauty of childhood in certain ways oh i cannot agree right? with you more because i think children especially younger children actually go on this voyage of discovery yeah and in doing so they try many many different things and they experience many many different things that define them yeah uh and again, I think that's, it's, 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 it's a, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think it's become, it's become a very desi thing also, right? Yeah. Is uh, sometimes we are too focused on outcomes to realize that the journey is the most pleasurable part of life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and we are in ways sort of extinguishing a very critical part of our children's childhood yeah. in forcing them to go after activities that have outcomes yeah. rather than, you know, discovering themselves by trying and failing and, you know, yeah. stumbling and doing all of that. Yeah. Uh, it's sad. Yeah. Uh, it's sad. It's very sad. Yeah. I, I, I remember. I it's just, I I'm sorry. It's just very sad. <laughs> no, I remember telling my um, Adya that, you know, like, at least let me put you in sports because sports sort of, again, goes through that journey of their ups and downs. And But you know what happens? When I, most parents, mm. most parents take their children to a football academy, right? And in their minds, they're like, yeah, my kid's going to go play for Messi India. Messi or something like that. Yeah. At least play for India, right? <laughs> You put a child in cricket and you're like, Such maybe a IPL. Yeah. So I think, I think we've become such a, 
outcome driven society outcome. and we are sort of foisting that on our children and taking away some of the pleasures of childhood from them and that's that's sad yeah yeah it sometimes uh, bothers me a lot actually not sometimes especially when you're a parent you start looking at things a little differently you know what you take for granted and yeah yeah it's sad it's sad yeah it's sad all right i'm going to switch gear again um you've gone through this journey of corporate life and then this life right we sort of abruptly ended that conversation i want to bring that back um for someone like me who's taking a plunge into really relooking at what work definition is and really prioritizing the other four balls we talked about is the picture really rosy on the other side what is it like what are some things like you know there's a fear of failure there's a fear of taking that risk how does one go through that journey so i mean and again just to go back to the conversation we had earlier right i think there's a fear of failure in everything that we do mm. correct but and we're always thinking about what if this fails right mm. uh my my take on that is how will you know if it's going to work unless you do it I mean but I could do it while I'm there in the other role as well right when I'm working somewhere else how do you how do you let go of that completely and take this plunge what are some things that one has I to take I don't know I don't know if there's a checklist or a formula to do things right I think most people that end up doing something with their careers mm. uh and it could be either at work I mean remember the conversation we had where you went in and started doing sales at microsoft yeah you never come from a sale background you didn't come from a sales background yes you might have had the reassurance that you know what i mean i come from a world of ai to selling enterprise software yeah very different worlds you pivoted yeah maybe you had the comfort of saying that you know what yeah i still home i i'll still take home a salary yeah but you've had to reinvent yourself from you know thinking about ai to selling enterprise software yeah which is a different ball game it's completely different i mean it's as different as going from a corporate career to a bookstore yeah it is and you did that but when you do it within you know the construct of a corporate and being a uh, you know an employee uh, in a corporate it doesn't feel so scary does it yeah yeah and this might be true for more people mm. and if you start looking at things that way and if i go back and ask you how did you do that what was the trigger it's not a it's you know you can't really go and put it down and say these were the four triggers that i went through these were the five sort of checks and balances that i had in place you don't do that i think i think as humans we are always driven to adventure in different ways mm. right yeah. and if it's within the construct of a corporate career then that adventure feels less risky. Mm. Yeah. You could have failed. You could have been a miserable failure in sales. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You didn't think of it that way. Yeah. You're saying, "Yeah, you know what? I have Microsoft. They have a support team. They will train me. They will give me some skills. I have certain skills that I have built over my career so far, and I'm going to combine all of that to go and try and make sure that, you know, 
at least give it a good shot yeah and and i think you know you go through the same thing maybe you know fears like oh what if i don't make enough money and things like that will not be answered unlike you know if you're doing it within the uh, corporate environment yeah but you know that's the not, adventure it's the adventure yeah it's the adventure and you know for me like i told you i was fortunate lakshmi and i were fortunate uh it just so happened that we'd finished paying off the emis of our house at that point in time so you know we're like yeah i mean i don't need that much money to live right yeah we went through that i don't yeah. need that much money to live i know this bookstore is not going to give me the same take home at the end of the month that my corporate career did yeah. but you didn't need that much yeah so sometimes it's it's all about going through that process of sort of weighing the pros and cons of the adventure and i think you know it's it's very difficult to say okay these are the four checkpoints and these are the things that i'd go through i think i think i think as humans we're all driven to adventure in one way or the other yeah and uh and sometimes why we do it is you know i mean people go and jump off a a bridge with a bungee cord why would you do that the thrill of it the experience yeah you didn't go through a list of checklists you know okay most people have done it and they even died so i'll do it right yeah. and and i think that that quest for adventure is is what yeah most of life's journeys sort of begin with yeah 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 in poker they also uh, talk about this thing of the concept of folding right um oh yeah when you're saying you know what these cards are not for me these cards are not the best cards because it, then it's an investment um and then the more you invest the more there's failure through that the shattering of your own self esteem self confidence becomes a lot more is that the fear and i think i think that's the fear no matter what you do right i mean it's the fear no matter what you do i think when you get married to someone you go through those fears when you have a <laughs> child you go through those fears when you change your career and go from one corporate to the other you go through those fears and yet we put so much emphasis on this fear and we put yeah exactly right? exactly yeah. like it's something very different yeah it's not yeah yeah it's not really yeah. i mean when you're driving a car on the highway for the same time for, for the first time is the same fear when you go on an adventure holiday and you're climbing a peak it's the same fear yeah when you're doing your whatever adventure and going into the deep sea diving is the same fear when i try to swim for the first time it's the same fear i mean i think it's the same thing everything is an adventure yeah and it's just that sometimes we i don't know i think i think when the outcomes are defined by others it just feels a little more reassuring mm. than when you're in charge of defining the outcomes yeah yeah is that a more indian thing suppose i don't think so i think it's a very human thing i think it's a very i think it's a very human thing the reason i ask if this is an indian thing when you're working in the corporate world as well right um there's this notional thing that we are more followers of instructions or guidelines because your outcomes creators. are defined your outcomes are defined by someone else right so it just feels like that goal seems a little more take control control it yeah. seems like you can actually see it yeah. you're like okay i see what is that and i can maybe find my way to it whereas when you're on your own you have to define those outcomes for yourself first and you're saying okay fine you know maybe it's so did you sort of build a 
lean canvas a business canvas for Atta Galata at some point or this was like let me just go take the plunge this was a place where Lakshmi and I wanted to grow old together okay (laughs) how do you put that on a canvas there was no canvas no uh not no not not nothing nothing that specific or nothing that particular uh what we knew was you know okay this is not a quote unquote business Mm. we're doing this because we both deeply loved doing doing that Mm. and uh and therefore we wanted to do things that would encourage others who had similar passion to maybe be part of that community yeah and i think we've survived for 11 years because we realized we're not alone yeah even in a city like bangalore there are literally thousands and tens of thousands of people who share that yeah uh those desires they who like that and you know it's been because those people have come and supported us and been part of our journey that we've also been around for 11 years yeah yeah I uh, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was about partnership. Like Lakshmi and you, um, yeah, and we've been married twenty twenty three years. Oh, you're oh twenty three years. Yeah. Oh, we just finished our twenty one. Like yes, it feels old, but then I think uh, the whole concept of monogamy, marriage, and this partnership is sort of like dwindling in some ways if I could call it that and they're very rare species like us I think I don't know this is probably in my head we can give ourselves credit <laughs> but it's a lot of uh, it's a journey isn't it it's yes. it is like how you said taking the plunge really figuring it out together where communication and really becomes at the core of it really important um, walk me through your journey what roles are you both playing and has that like you know changed over the years have you all swapped roles and how have you all handled failures ups and downs in this journey through this so lakshmi and i had an arranged marriage oh yeah lakshmi and i had an arranged marriage right now very old fashioned in that sense we had an arranged marriage and uh we maybe knew each other for about four months before we got married. Are you serious? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we knew each other for five months before we got married. Uh, I used to live in Coimbatore at that time. She mm. lived in Chennai. Mm. So it's not like we met each other all that often. Mm. You know, I'd go to Chennai mm. whenever I could find an excuse and go and spend, you know, a couple of hours with her. And So it was literally sort of after we got married that mm. we got to know each other mm. and we discovered that we were complete and entire opposites of each other mm. right i mean you know it yeah. a little bit but it's only when you start living you know, together yeah it's only yeah. when you start living together and you know the wedding is over and the marriage starts yeah. that you kind of you know discover the sort of nuances and intricacies of your individual and collective behavior true, right true. so yeah we are complete opposites mm. uh, i am a uh, very outgoing uh, i love having conversations and meeting people but i'm also very shallow with people relationships mm. i have very very surface level uh, relationships mm. lakshmi has deep abiding relationships with people mm. and she's very introverted she's deeply sort of introverted 
and uh, she doesn't talk much uh, she kind of prefers keeping to herself uh, or to those you know she doesn't enjoy social situations i thrive in social situations so you know just sort of exact opposites of each other so when we started working together uh, when we started ata galata for the last 11 years we kind of have been working with each other there are points where we are the only two employees of ata galata mm. so it's not like we even have others and uh, yeah i think we found ourselves being very very complementary to each other right mm. we found ourselves being very very complementary to each other so uh and also you know yeah i mean there are sort of deep uh i'd say disagreements with the viewpoints of life because we just come from completely different perspectives right mm. like i said the opposites of each other uh but but you know not just about being married but even working with each other means that you tolerate and respect each respect each other's point of view yeah yeah right yeah. i mean if i want to paint the wall white she might want to paint it yellow yeah and i don't know you can't end up with white and yellow stripes on the wall yeah. right yeah. so sometimes so uh so yeah so we are very very different people uh we come from completely different perspectives what we like what we like to do uh how we do things are completely the opposite of each other but i think there's a a lot of tolerance for each other's uh views mm. and there's a lot of tolerance for the way each of us sort of goes out and approaches gives things. a space to each other as well right <laughs> I think I think just <laughs> space is by far the most important thing right yeah I think space is by far you can't keep breathing down each other's necks yeah. and uh yeah I mean there are things that Lakshmi likes to do which I don't like to do she'll go out and do those mm. there are things that I like to do and Lakshmi doesn't like to do and I will do those and there are things that we both like to do and we'll do those and mm. and I mean that's that's basically how we've managed to you know divide responsibilities mm. and when it comes to ata galata i think uh, you know i have i mean talked about this but uh you know we always wanted uh to be a little more than just a bookstore with books on the shelf right uh, we said you know let's not just put books on a shelf and hope that people will come and buy them right so we from day one encouraged begged mm. requested people to come and use the space mm. as a venue for artistic and literary interactions mm. so it manifests itself as events so mm. we do tons of events at ata galata it manifests as people that come and just hang out so we actively encourage people to come and loiter at ata galata right it results in people having you know long conversations and chats with and getting to know so we we basically over the last 11 years become a very large family mm. there are all of these people who've come and spent time with ata galata spent time with us we've spent time with them they've done events they've hung out they've used the space and uh and 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 so in doing all of this you know we end up doing tons of different things mm. right mm. so right from what is the kind of books we need to stock mm. i mean obviously as a small indie bookstore 
you're not going to be able to stock every book that's been published, mm. right? So you say, okay, fine. I'm going to now create certain niches and specialties within Indian Indian writing in English that I'll focus on and then go and curate my collection of books. Uh, if I'm going to get Marathi books, neither of us speak Marathi or Bengali, neither of us speak Bengali. How are you going to go and curate? And So, you know, we, we play different roles when it comes to curation and selection of books that go onto the shelves. What kind of events do you want to have at Atta Galata? Mm-hmm. What kind of artists and creators do you want to bring to Atta Galata? We have completely different views on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how do you go about and create, you know, run these events and run these activities. We have completely different views on those. So we just, you know, keep sort of arguing. We keep arguing. We keep discussing. Sometimes she defers to what Hmm. my opinion might be. There are other times when I defer to what her opinions might be. And, you know, it's completely just keep just going down that path. So for me, I remember I learned driving in the U.S., from Shamir and I thought that was a test of marriage but I it really is, it <laughs> sometimes is huh? I thought that was but then when we started Badlo India together I really realized working as a couple is a different ball game itself and especially working on a brainchild of yours together as a couple um, is a true test of marriage because everything comes out there because you're passionate and so am I passionate about it. Perspectives are different. Um, you know, sometimes even objectives where you pivot can sort oh, of very wander complete. around. Pivoting is one of the worst yes. times of, you know. Yes. Yes. And how you handle failure, for example, expectations on each one and what we bring to the table and how you handle failure in that because it's not just then work, one of the balls. You've got multiple balls invested on the same thing. How has failure been in this journey for you? Oh, we've had more failure than success. Shut I think up. like with everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had more failure than success, right? And and I think, I think what Lakshmi and I have practiced is she's been completely accepting of any failure that I have caused. Hmm. Wow. Lakshmi has been completely accepting of any failure that I have caused. She has not once assigned blame. Hmm. And she has not once sort of done what about it. What about and what if we've done this or I told you so. And 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 uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we've been able to sort of accept failure and move on to other things that you need to do mm. once that failure is accomplished. So it's probably one culture if corporates were to draw a parallel. That's one culture that must be sort of leveraged, right? I think it's a very, very. I think, I think, I think, I think there are great companies in this uh, in this world that do that and do that. They've institutionalized that, mm. right? Yeah. When, especially when you're a company that is in creation of in the in, when you're into creating anything, yeah. right? When yeah. you're when you're in cre- when you're in the field of creating, yeah. 
either as an individual creator or as an organization that creates yeah. or as a corporate that creates. Yeah. I think that, that example of great companies that have institutionalized the process of accepting failure and not assigning blame hmm. are the ones that really have become the great creators of this this world. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm sure Edison did not invent the light bulb bulb without exploding a few things. Yeah. And you know? Yeah. I think I think all great companies do that. I mean look at look at our space program, right? Mm. Or NASA. You know, not every spaceship goes up and True. does what it's intended to do, right? True. Some of them just break up halfway and then fall into the sky. And nobody's sitting there saying, oh, you know what? That rocket cost you a hundred crores and it exploded. Now yeah. I'm going to have your head for it. Yeah. Because I think when you're in the process, when you, when you do that process of creation as a corporate as well, you know that there are certain things that are going to result in failure. And simply accepting failure as part of your process, right, without assigning blame. Mm. But maybe institutionalizing the learnings that, yeah. you know, yeah. caused that failure or the learnings from that failure itself. I think there are many great companies in this world that have that have very strong processes True. and a very strong culture for accepting failure. So I think last week or the week before, I was talking to a neurosurgeon. And I asked a similar question about failure. And for him, it was like every day, you know, you don't know because it's a case. Oh, absolutely. So oh, that's a great example. Failure. And then next day, I can't carry that emotion you can't carry the because success it's forward. a new patient for me. You neither can carry the success forward nor the failure forward, yes. right? Yes. So true. That's a great example. Yeah, so that is such a great example. Yeah, for me it was an eye opener because the way we look at failure is like, oh shit, it's such a deep thing. Whereas if you really change the perspective of failure to a learning experience, a journey, then it's a unless the failure was caused by callous disregard for everything that one needs to do. Yeah. You cannot blame failure. Yeah. I think failure is a great lesson. Yeah. Uh, failure is a great opportunity to, you know, uh, succeed. And I think I'm going to carry this example of this neurosurgeon. Right? Yeah, that was an eye you can't even carry You can't even carry your success forward. Exactly. Oh, I had a great brain surgery. So tomorrow I'm going to Rocket. save that patient. Yes. No, you yeah. can't even carry the success forward. Yeah. Leave alone the failure, right? Yeah. Wow, that's an a great example. Yeah, that is a great example. So that's what I like about these um, conversations, right? There are, and that's life, right? You sort of take snippets from different aspects, and that sort of gets engraved in to Amazing. connect the dots for us, right? So I think I'm I'm a little envious of you and, uh, <laughs> and this uh, <laughs> new path that you are exploring. Oh, I'm loving right? it. I'm loving this journey. I think I think uh, I think having conversations with people is one of the most fulfilling things one can do. Yeah, yeah. There's just so many people in this world who doing so many different things. Yeah. You haven't even scratched the surface to understand. Yeah, very true. Very true. So I have one. Uh, when uh, Shamir and I came to Atta Galata, we've come to quite a few of the events. But I think the first one that really stood out for us was this Sufi dervish experience you had um, in the rooftop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With the, with the Sufi music and the Tastangoi. Yes. Like yes. And I remember coming out of that and telling Shamir, you know, 
while this place is awesome and the experience has been awesome, you had that Koramangla house where the space was and it was so beautiful. Changing from there to the JNC campus or the Koramangla new campus, how is it? Like, what did you go through emo emotionally? Because that was your child, right? So when we started Atta Galata, we decided, okay, listen, we have this house in Koramangala. And you've been to this house, not as Atta Galata, but just as yes. dinner and friends yes. and things like that, yes. right? So when we started Atta Galata, our first instinct was, you know, we've got this house in Koramangala. Let's just sort of redo it a little bit and create a public space out of it, right? So, and this is again about throwing yourself into whatever we were doing. Yeah. So we said, okay, let's go and remodel that house a little bit. And we ended up pulling it down. We didn't pull it down also completely. Mm. We ended up pulling like 50% of it down yes. and then rebuilding it. Yes. Which was even harder than pulling it down. Uh, and that place just, you know. It was magical. It was. Yeah. It was. Uh, again, the power of creators, right? Architecture, design. They're all just such phenomenal yeah. talents. Uh, so we had a beautiful place. But unfortunately, that space did not work out for a variety of reasons. Uh, we very quickly outgrew it. And we had a couple of other issues as well. And so we were actually forced to move out of that place. And that's when we found this other space in uh, Kuramangala near Jyotinavas College and moved into that. So we left a little piece of our heart behind, okay? Mm. And that's always hard. When you mm. leave a little piece of your heart behind, it aches. Mm. That heartache, you know, still is there. Hmm. And that was, we were in that space exactly for a year. We were in that space exactly for a year before we had to move out. And uh, yeah, and that hurt. And it yeah. still hurts. And now we're going to make our next move. Where we're going to move out of Koromangala into a space in Indranagar. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Lovely. And, uh, and this hurts as well. Because this time we've had to do it because of the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Right? We were forced to sort of shut the physical space down and not see people and you know get excited about coming to church street after six months just because <laughs> you know it hadn't happened in a, such a long time so yeah that was that was a painful episode that was a little piece of your heart one left behind and it aches it hurts it hurts but you move on right yeah you're like fine. it's it's also about dealing with these kind of ambiguities right absolutely mm -hmm. And then still staying put on it. like, And that's that's the whole journey. I mean, most organizations go through it. But entrepreneurs, especially, and creators go through it even more. Because there's a... I mean, it's the same thing, right? I mean, if I think, I think it's so true. Mm. And you go through it as individuals. You go mm. through it as organizations. And, and, and I think, like we spoke about earlier, if you're in the creative field, then what happens is those failures become like a reflection of you as a person mm. not that I'm a creator you know yeah. not be, but if you're looking at it as a you know let's say you're a filmmaker and your magnum opus is a box office dud yes I mean imagine what they're going through yeah I, 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 I dread this because I'm passionately creating podcasts you know session after session I really don't know how it's going to be when it's out there, you know, if it tanks, then yeah. what? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You're putting yourself out there. Yeah. And what you're doing is a sort of a, a piece of your heart that you're actually leaving behind. And you I mean, what if it doesn't work? Yeah. 
tend to think of it right i mean people make music and say you know some critic comes and pans it and says this is yeah. the worst piece of you know dog third i've heard <laughs> imagine yeah. the imagine the sort of emotion the range of emotion the creator is going through yeah but it's not like they stop music yeah come back and do the same thing yeah. you know happens in every creative endeavor new perspectives absolutely very very interesting so one last question okay actually two what is has subodh changed from the corporate subodh to the new subodh subodh lost all his hair <laughs> very visibly sajid has gone great yeah no no uh the corporate subodh to subodh that runs ata galata i have you know i mean I think I've deeply, deeply changed. Mm. I have deeply changed, uh, and I think you know. To uh, when I was when I was in the world, corporate world, what seemed to be more important and therefore what you prioritize are completely different from what I prioritize right now. Mm. If I have a work call mm. and my niece comes home, I'll lie. I'll tell them, boss, I'm in a meeting. and i'll play with my niece now hmm. the five balls right yeah for me it's important to play and my niece might be doing something as crazy as showing me you know how to wash her baby's hair hmm to me i think today it's become far more important hmm than uh you know yeah a work call that was a game changer for me because i remember one day adya coming and telling me um, so when adya plays with me or we have our our time um, if i'm busy i tell her i'm busy but otherwise if i've given i'm, I'm with her it's like a 100% thing and i never thought the child noticed it she was much smaller younger then and then she comes and says you're very different from the other mothers you know i said how so and she said the other mothers engage with the child in their chores whereas you when you engage with me you're with me there's no chores it's us and it never you know it was like a amazing thing to hear from a child oh you know then you want to do more of that you want to spend more right? time around and that. that's an opinion that's a that's feedback that came with no filters yeah right yeah. and and another thing i think i i think i think after i stopped my corporate career and i started ata galata i've stopped telling people i don't have time mm very interesting i i i'm very proud and i might not be lying in the past few years i have not told anybody i don't have time so you are rich with currency with but time is a currency because i think now all i just i've just changed the way right i said mm. you know what i can't do it right now mm. can we do it at yeah a little later yeah i i have time yeah i have time for everybody for everything and i have time yeah yeah so i think in the corporate career you always went through life telling people boss i don't have time for this yeah i don't have time for this yeah you have something oh i don't have time for this yeah hmm. i have time i have time i've plenty of time one more question advice to someone who is really getting into this creator or passion economy 
think of it not just as a creator or a passion economy but your way of life mm. right mm. that's your way of life just like how you know we talked about this earlier it's like how you put on that dress in the morning and say you know what i'm not going to go to microsoft and i'm going to go and sell enterprise software to customers yeah it's a way of life yeah that is your way of life that's what you've chosen to do and uh i think taking that first plunge and saying you know what what if i fail what if it doesn't work out is natural it's not just when you start off it's going to be every day of your life hmm. but uh i think creators are uniquely positioned by virtue of having that creative bent of mind hmm. to go out and actually circumvent and solve some of these roadblocks that might occur the non creative types don't have that choice they have to depend on corporate structure and hr to take care of it yeah but if you're creative by definition of being creative you have the ability to go out and circumvent and solve some of these issues that come to your life yeah so i i think i am constantly amazed at how creative people uh, are the way they create and i think i've been blessed that you know in the last 10 years i've basically hung out with creative people every day of my life and i think You know these guys are the best in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Hey Subodh, thank you so much. What a lovely conversation I had with you. I hope you also enjoyed this conversation as much I as did, I did. Sarjan, yeah. Thank you so much and thank you for thinking about me and I wish you luck in your podcasting career. Thank you. And I wish that uh you know I listen to hundreds of your episodes thank you. in the future. Thank you. Keeping fingers crossed. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks.